I want to thank Pastor Andy being a host to me. I was here four years ago. I hope I get invited sooner. So, Pastor Al, you've got to help me out on that. And a gentleman came up to me today and said, I remember as if you were here yesterday. You really did. I was so moved. Thank you. And, uh, but I'd like to come sooner than later. But uh, it is a privilege to be here. And, of course, Pastor Goodluck, who is a friend. And I had the privilege to be in Pastor Al's Sunday school class this morning. We were talking about joy. Man, it was just the right thing, Al. So thank you very much. And God sent me here today. I, I just sense the Holy Spirit here. And by the way, not only congratulations to uh, Andy and his wife for 46 years. Tomorrow night I have my 41st wedding anniversary. And uh, I thought you would appreciate the story. I really feel in my spirit. I know I'm really tight for time, but will you give me a little grace? Um, a woman wrote, she said, Even though my husband's bright and able man, my husband is almost completely helpless when even, even facing the simplest domestic chores. One day in exasperation, she pointed out to her husband that her friend, Bia, had taught her husband, Frank, to cook, do laundry, clean, and everything else. And she said, if anything ever happened to Bia, Frank could take care of himself. Then she asked her own husband, what would you do if anything happened to me? And after considering that possibility for a moment, her husband said happily, I'd move in with Frank. (laughs) I just have to tell you about a Texas woman. Can I do this? A man in Ohio married a woman. He told her she was to wash the dishes, house clean. It took a couple days, but first and third day, by the third day, he came to see the house clean, the dishes washed, put away. A woman from Idaho married a man from Idaho, excuse me, married a woman. That would be appropriate day, a woman from woman married. He gave his wife orders that she was to do all the cleaning, cleansing, and dishes. The first day he didn't see any results, but the next day he saw it was better. By the third day, this man saw that his house was clean, the dishes were done, and there was a huge dinner on his table. Ladies, don't worry, the story's going to end well. Guys, you better listen. A third man married a Texas woman. He ordered her to keep the house clean, dishes washed, lawn mowed, laundry washed, and hot meals on the table for every meal. He said the first day he didn't see anything. The second day he didn't see anything. But by the third day, some of the swelling had gone down and he could see a little bit out of his left eye. And his arm was healed enough that he could fix himself a sandwich and and load the dishwasher and he still had some difficult urinating. So ladies know I'm with you. I'm going to speak to you about Talbum because eternity is forever. Uh, God gave me an opportunity to see hell 20 years ago in a hotel room in an NFL meeting in Miami, and it's beyond horror. God showed me what happens when you die lost, and I'll talk about that. Some people have died lost, but I've seen it. He had nine, ten demons come into my hotel room as real as you sitting here. And as they came at me, I was in such terror, I knew I was going to die. For whatever reason, I knew I was going to die when they reached me. And I shouted out loud at the top of my voice, Jesus Christ, save me. I can't describe the terror to you, but name above all names. The demons went right back in the roof. The roof shut in my hotel suite, and for 45 minutes I was in terror in the bed, saying, God, take this away or I'll go mad. By the way, God will confirm one year later what I experienced was real. My neighbor asked me if I'd go witness to her brother Doug in a hospital in Minneapolis, Mercy Hospital. I took my spiritual mentor from CBS Radio, Dick Enroth, my mentor of 27 years with me, to ask Doug, who was about 38, 42 years old, somewhere in there, if he'd come to Christ. He had no interest, didn't want to come to Jesus. But I'll tell you what, his blood's not on my hands. But here's his death a week or ten days later. His wife Donna, who's still not saved, 
said he sat up in bed and he shouted, they'd come for me. And she said he died screaming and shrieking at the top of his lungs. He was screaming and shrieking because the demons had come for him, dragging him into hell. Today about 10,000 people die every hour in the world. A quarter million people will die in the world today. Most of them going to a Christless eternity. The Bible says wide's the way to destruction. Most choose it. Narrows the gate to salvation. Very few find it. There will be a one and a half million people will be cast into eternity this week. Ninety million this year around the world. And if you live to be 70 years old, three score and ten is allotted unto us, the Bible said. Anything beyond that, 70 is a blessing. You will see 6.3 billion people that have died in your lifetime. The vast majority of them going to a Christless eternity. They believed the lie. They never heard the gospel. Or they rejected Jesus Christ openly. Let me tell you why I'm such a passionate person about Jesus. First of all, I'm madly in love with him. He had to break me about five years ago. I got so in love with the world, he had to break me. And he did. But I've never loved him more. And I came from a family where my mother was a godly woman. She came out of a farm. She was a simple woman, but she loved Jesus. We had 11 kids in our home. But my father hated Christ with all of his heart. He was 55, 11 years older. He beat my mother unmercifully for the 19 years they were married. He never beat his kids, but I lived in a house of terror in Minneapolis. Our house was not even 14 feet wide, this little house in South Minneapolis. We were dirt poor, going hungry many times. But I lived in a house of terror, seeing the beatings. My 16-year-old sister got pregnant and left to get married. She was so scared. My other sister, Dorothy, saw my dad strangling my mother on top of the freezer. See, this isn't the marriage that, ran, that, that Andy and his wife have. It's not the marriage my wife and I have in Christ. And some of you here might be in that kind of marriage. And God understands that He weeped for you, but He can fix it. In 1955, something will happen in my home that my mother will never share with anybody for 36 years until 1991, two weeks before she dies. She'll tell my brother and my sister-in-law what happened that day. My father is 55 years of age. He had plenty of time to accept Christ. He said no. That day he had beat my mother unmercifully. This godly woman got off the kitchen floor. And the Holy Spirit spoke to her. And she looked right at my father. His name was Dewey and said, Dewey, God will not allow you to beat me anymore. And he dropped dead right in front of her. I get no joy telling this story. But at that moment, my father went into eternity to a crisis hell that's so beyond horror, you can't fathom it. I'm going to talk about that. See, most pastors will never preach on hell because they're afraid of offending people. I'm a lot more worried about offending Jesus. And Jesus has sent me here. Jesus has sent me here this morning with this story. I will give you 100% guarantee this morning if the rapture is held off, and I do, by the way, believe Jesus is coming very soon. I host the afternoon drive time show on a major Christian radio station in Minneapolis, St. Paul, Monday through Friday. I'm on radio 4 to 6, interviewing Franklin Grahams and D. James Kennedy when he was alive, everyone. But I'll tell you one thing. My desire is to warn people about what awaits them without Christ, to encourage people that are in Christ, and to make a difference for eternity. Because the Bible says, what's one soul worth to God? Do you know how much it is? Worth all the wealth of the world. Bill Gates is the richest man today in the world. But his, he does not own the whole world. 
But Jesus says, what be a man or a woman? They gain the whole world, but lose their soul. So what God is saying is your soul is more valuable than all the wealth of the world. By the way, for all of us, the Bible says that God thinks of us more times, every one of us, than there are sands in the sea. And I figured it out. I can't think that much in my lifetime and not even get close to the sands in the sea. But that's what God's doing about every one of you. If you know Him, He loves you. If you don't know Him, He wants to know you. He wants you to know Him. He wants a relationship. You know, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18-20, it's the last thing Jesus spoke of before He goes to heaven. He didn't speak about marriage, didn't talk about money. Right before He's going to go into heaven, He says, go into all the world and make disciples. And baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And He promises, lo, I'll be with you always, even till the end of the world. It's the last thing He ever spoke about. It's a commission. He didn't ask. He commands us to do it. And yet 95% of all Christians, according to George Gallup, it's been consistent for 20 years, will never tell one person about Jesus. Why? Billy Graham, the great evangelist in 1963, felt led by the Holy Spirit, as I felt led yesterday with Carlos in the airplane. He felt led to go see Marilyn Monroe, the famous actress. He begged her to come to Christ. He told her the gospel message. And this woman said, I don't need your Jesus. Oh, but she did. One week later, she killed herself. And today, she's in a Christless eternity forever. I think the three worst words in the English language are, it's too late. It's too late. It's too late. You missed your flight. It's too late. You now have cancer. It's too late. You're in hell. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. The people two weeks ago that got on the Malaysia flight going over the Ukraine, over 350 in that plane, had no idea that a rocket would shoot them down and they would be cast into eternity. They had no idea. I can tell you story after story after story of people I've known that had no idea they were going to die the day they died. Car accidents, death, heart attacks, they had no idea. We're all going to die someday if Jesus tarries. Why don't we tell people, if we profess Christ here this morning, and I know there are some here that probably are not saved, and God has brought me for you, but He's also brought me for every one of you that claim the name of Jesus. Are you in that 95% that never tell anybody? I listened to Charles Stanley this morning, and I know David's wife did too. He talked about taking the opportunities that God gives us. Do we do it? Does it show that He's Lord of our life, that we're concerned about people? I do weep for the lost. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, his soldiers came to him in the late 1800s and said, how can we win more souls for Christ? You know what General Booth said? Try tears. And another great pastor said, take my members and put them over hell for one hour so they know what people are going to face for eternity. But we talk more about our vacations, new cars, new houses, our college grades, and our job promotions we do about Jesus. But I want Jesus to be the most important thing to me. And by breaking me five years ago, my focus is on Him. This world is passing, folks. I've worked for some of the most famous people in the world. I've traveled with them, the President and Vice President of the United States, for three and a half years. Worked for three U.S. Senators, three governors. One of the richest men in the whole world I worked for for eight years. But you know what? It means nothing without Christ. Thank goodness the billionaire that I worked for, who owned TGI Fridays, Radisson, Carlton Travel, I had the privilege to lead Kurt to Christ six days before he died. And he was gloriously born again. He was a man who profaned God all the years he worked that I worked for him. But I'll tell you, God wants none to perish. 
And God revealed me the reason why Kurt came to Christ, because he had people interceding for him. The Bible says the prayers of the righteous person availeth much. Men and women, young boys and girls, if you're a Christian, you should be interceding for people. God is waiting for you to call on them so they'll come to Him. He'll use you to be the inter, inter, uh, intercessor for them. So why should we share our faith? Because God commanded us. You heard it, the Great Commission. Because all are lost, Romans 3.10. Because God desires to save all people, Acts 4.12. Because someone shared the faith with you, your parents, your grandparents, your Sunday school teacher, a friend. What are we going to share? We're sharing that God's Word says that all are sinners. All have come short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53, 6, Romans 3, 10. There's nothing a lost person can do to save themselves. Isaiah 64, 6, Ephesians 2, 9. I told Carlos on the plane yesterday. He goes to a very famous church here in Houston. I said, Carlos, how are you going to go to heaven? He said, well, I'm a good person. I work hard. I'm a good... Is Carlos here? He was going to try to make it here with his mother. He wasn't sure he could. But Carlos said, I think it's on good works, isn't it? I said, oh, no, let me tell you what God's Word said. And I'll tell you, folks, my wife and I had already prayed the day before for a divine appointment. We prayed before I got on the plane for a divine appointment. I got on the plane, I prayed for a divine appointment. Sitting next to a guy that I didn't think would even talk to me until breakfast was served and we had a chance to visit. Found out, as, as uh, Andy said, and he never flies Delta. But he did yesterday morning. You think that's coincidence? The Bible says God ordains the steps of a righteous man or woman if you love Jesus. It's not a coincidence. I've been led to so many people that were dying that I had the privilege to bring to Christ. I remember one man that I was praying for. I said, God, show your power as I witness him. He's in a coma. Laid hands on him. He jumped up in the bed two feet and crashed down. The poor people that came to the hospital with me were so terrified. They'd never seen God do that. And I said, now, I'll just call him Fred. Fred, God's got your attention. He's in a coma. The last thing that goes, every doctor will tell you this, is that you're hearing. And God told me the reason why He does it, He wants no one to perish. He wants people to hear His Word even till the end. Even my billionaire friend and boss, the last six days, God let him hear the Gospel again. And this man that was in the hospital bed, in a coma, his friend put his hand up, he was completely paralyzed, and went, did you hear Paul, what he said? Did you accept Christ? This is what he did. And he died five days later. See, folks, we've got to be concerned about the lost. They can't be an inconvenience. I don't care how inconvenient it is if God sends you somewhere to go there. I regret sometimes when I have not done that. And there are a couple of people in eternity today that I think are in hell because I didn't take the effort. But I'm not going to let it happen again. We are all sinners. That's what we're sharing. How do we share our faith? The Bible says we must be clean vessels. Isaiah said this, Be clean you who bear the vessels of the Lord. Isaiah 52:11. God doesn't demand that you be a gold or silver vessel for Him, but He asks that you be a pure vessel. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There are none righteous. I'm the last person in the world who will tell you that I'm righteous. I'm a sinner saved by grace. But I have 1 John 1, 9 as a believer. If we confess our sins, it's for the Christian. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And finally, when do we share? Always. A very famous evangelist in Chicago had the meeting and he said, tomorrow night if you want to accept Christ, come back. But there was no tomorrow night. It was October 8, 1871. The Chicago fire swept through Chicago, took four miles of homes, killed 250 people. And he said, I will never, ever, ever again speak and not give the gospel to have people receive Christ. 
The Bible, the Bible is clear that today is the accepted time of salvation, Hebrews 3.15. The reason for this is simple. Not any one of us here today or anyone in the world knows how many days they have left. A quarter million people today will go into eternity. They have no idea they're going there. Young and old, black and white, Americans, Chinese, Vietnamese, Africans. I'll tell you, I asked God for a divine appointment with Carlos. My wife and I prayed. God ordained my steps. God ordered what I said to him. The Spirit of God moved him, and he came to Christ. And the only one who gets the glory for that is Jesus. And the only thing I can say is we have a privilege as Christians to witness for Christ. What will heaven be like? What will hell be like? Young people, God's told me there's somebody in here, in the youth, you need to come to Christ today. I'm not saying you're going to die. I'm not going to imply that. I'm not going to be emotional. But there's something, God's pulling me with somebody with the youth. I don't know what it is. But let me tell you, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke 16, chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. This is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. I'm going to quickly go through this. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and the linen and fared sumptuously. By the way, he lived great. He had a huge mansion. By the way, the purple color, the reason why the Roman emperors, the Caesars wore purple, there was a small snail in the Mideast that they get the purple from. Very valuable, very hard to get. You wore purple, you were wealthy. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. I think of my mother getting beat up all the time. Lazarus was full of sores, was laid at his gate. My friends, you've you got to catch that. Lazarus at least had one friend that took him every day to the gate. He was a real friend. And are we real friends to the lost? Are we real friends to one another that are Christians? Are we there for them? Or are we bad-mouthing them? Are we, do we have your back or not? But a friend of Lazarus had his back and brought him to the gate every day. Verse 21, declaring to be, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Wherever the dog ceased and licked his sores. Here's poor Lazarus. No doctor help. His help medically is dogs licking his sore, easing his pain. The rich man had plenty of doctors. In those days had salve. But not Lazarus. But folks, it's going to change. The Bible verse says, Why do the wicked prosper? God answers it. Their judgment's coming. And for you that don't know Jesus Christ, this life is your only heaven. And it isn't perfect, I can tell you that. But for those of us that are saved and born again and love Jesus, this will be our only hell. And it can be tough, but it's not going to be like the hell they're going to. So it was, now they died, the beggar died. By the way, I don't think there was any funeral. By the way, the beggars were thrown on the eastern side of Jerusalem in Gehenna. It's the example Jesus used about hell. The fire burned from brimstone all the time there. It did. And they threw the bodies in there, the garbage and the maggots and the worms never died. The stink in Jerusalem was horrible. That's what Jesus says hell will be like. And that's where the beggar's been thrown. I can imagine now the rich man dies. He's had a huge funeral. A lot of people over at the mansion celebrating his life and honoring him. But guess what? The roles are now going to switch for eternity. They're now going to change. So when the beggar died in verse 22... He was carried by the angels of, Abra- of angels of God to Abraham's bosom. 
The rich man also died and was buried. But you know what? He's not carried anywhere. He's dragged into hell. Verse 23, and being in torment in Hades. By the way, in the Old Testament time when you died, you went to Hades. It had two compartments, paradise and Hades. Abraham's in paradise. When Jesus died on the cross, he set captivity free. He went to the paradise and took all those folks from Old Testament times with him to heaven. Now when you die, if you're a believer, to be absent the body is present with the Lord. But for the non-believers, always from death to judgment. Then it was to Hades. It is still to the bosom of hell in the middle of this earth. By the way, they think that temperature is at least 12,000 degrees. That's where the damned are waiting right now. But someday they'll be before the white throne of God being judged and thrown in the lake of fire. We don't know where that lake of fire is. I personally believe it's in some outer universe that's aflame. But it's horrible. 23, and being in torment in Hades, the rich man lifted up his eyes in verse 23, and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. Lazarus, by the way, in the bosom, that means in the Hebrew he's in the place of honor. He's at the right hand. He's in honor now. The beggar, the man who the dogs were licking him, who had nothing to eat. He was eating the food when the man washed his hands after going to the bathroom. They sometimes would use bread and throw it on the ground. Dear Lazarus is eating that, but no more. Now the roles have changed. Then the rich man cried, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to me. He tipped the finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in flame. I've got to do this, folks. This is serious business as an evangelist. I don't joke about this. Why did he ask for one drop of water, not 5,000 gallons? One drop for eternity. Because it would give him joy and hope. But in hell you'll never have joy or hope. The rich man will never get even one drop of water. And hell is such a place of torment. Oh, there's a new thought going on. I interviewed on my radio. Edward Fudge is one of them saying, oh, eventually they get annihilated in this conditional punishment. No, it's not. I had Oz Guinness on the other day with me. I've had David Jeremiah. I've had everyone who's who's who talk about hell. It's forever. And Jesus says it's forever. And by the way, this is not a parable. A parable was a story to give you an example. This is a real happening. Why do we know that? Because Bible scholars say Jesus never used a name in a parable. This is the only time in the Bible that Lazarus, a real person, is mentioned. This happened. And today Lazarus is still in heaven. And the rich man is still in hell. And 50 trillion years from now, Lazarus will still be in heaven. And the rich man will still be in hell. We cannot fathom forever. Well, that's what they both are. Then you go... Abraham said in verse 26, and besides this, there is a great gulf fixed that you who want to come over to us cannot, and vice versa, we can't go to you. See, people say, well, you can get out of hell. No, you can't. There's no purgatory. There's no middle ground, folks. You're there forever. But the good news is you're also there forever with the Lord if you're saved. 27, then he begged, I beg you, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify to them, that they come to this place, lest they come to this place of torment. Folks, in hell you still won't lose your emotions. You'll still love your children. If you're in hell as a parent or a grandparent or a brother or sister, you don't want your family coming with you, even if you're there. And this rich man is now experiencing that. It's too late for him. It's too late. But it's not too late for his sons. But listen to what he asked for. But Father Abraham said, They have Moses in the Bible. Let them hear them. You know what he's saying in modern terms? You've got Billy Graham, you've got Pastor Andy, you've got Pastor Goodluck, 
you got Pastor Al and others. You could hear the Bible today. If you reject it, it's your own fault. God has sent me personally today. I know that to this church. I know that last night and this morning, God confirmed to me the message I'm giving. I would not come in here until I said, God confirmed to me this is the message. Finally, and he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes from the dead, they'll repent in verse 30. Here's the answer, verse 31. But he said to them that they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded that one rises from the dead. You want to know how that's confirmed? When Jesus rose from the dead, what did the Pharisees do? They told the Roman guards to lie, correct? When Lazarus, the brother of Martha and Mary, died, and four days later brought back from the dead, you know why he's brought back four days? Because in the Hebrew idiom, three days you could still be alive, fourth day you were dead. That's why Jesus waited the fourth day. And yet the Pharisees wanted to kill even that Lazarus because he didn't want them proclaiming that Christ has raised him from the dead. Erwin Lutzer wrote a book, One Minute After You Die. Listen to this, every one of you. This is what will happen to you one minute after you die. This is a best-selling book. He's the senior pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago. He wrote, One minute after you slip behind the parted curtain, you will either be enjoying a personal welcome from Christ or catching your first glimpse of gloom as you've never known it. Either way, your future will be irrevocably fixed and eternally unchangeable. Those who find themselves in heaven will be surrounded with friends whom they have known on earth. Every description of heaven they have heard will pale in the light of the reality. All this forever. But, indeed many others, will be shrouded in darkness, a region of deprivation and unending regret. There, with all the memories and feelings fully intact, images of the life on earth will return to haunt them. They will think back to their friends, families, relatives. They'll brood over the opportunities they squandered and intuitively know that their future is both hopeless and it's unending. For them, death will be far worse than they imagined. And so while many relatives and friends plan your funeral, deciding a casket, a burial plot, or who are going to be your pallbearers, you will be more alive than ever if you're in heaven or hell. You will either see God on His throne surrounded by His angels and redeemed humanity, or you'll feel an indescribable weight of guilt and abandonment. There is no destination midway between these two extremes, just gladness and gloom. And I heard another writer say, how many people have prepared for their funeral without preparing to die? I can tell you a lot of people I know like that. I've got a brother worrying more about getting water in his casket, but he's rejected Christ. I had a friend of mine, a very famous woman in Minneapolis. I begged her to come to Christ. She believed in evolution. She was a believer in reincarnation. You know what? She died. It's too late. She's been in hell the last 15, 20 years. She'll be there forever. Begged her to come to Christ, sent a pastor to her. She said no. See, here's the options you have. Light for heaven or darkness for hell. Perfect health and happiness or physical agony and mental agony. Joy or despair. But one thing about hell and heaven, they're both forever. Voltaire, the great, any of you know Voltaire? Any of you in school talk, teach to Voltaire? Voltaire was the greatest mind of Europe in 1786. He was the most famous man in the world. He was a French brilliant philosopher. But in 1786, and by the way, he was one of the world's leading atheists. He hated Christ. He mocked him his whole life. But here's what's going to happen, folks. I'm going to take you to his death chambers. Four days before he dies in 1786. How do we know that? Because his housemaid tells us the story, what happened. 
He starts screaming and shrieking because he sees Lucifer and the demons waiting at the end of his bed for him. He curses his friends who were all infidels, unbelievers. Shouts, get out of the room. He begs the doctor. He says, give me six more months of life and I'll go into hell with you. But it's too late. At one point he's begging. another point he's cursing. And let me warn every one of you, and I have to tell you this as an evangelist. The Bible says, Today is the day of salvation. Hearken unto God because the Spirit of God will not always strive with man. There is a point where people have left the Holy Spirit and He will not come back to draw them. And if you're in that situation, and I hope and I believe there's nobody here like that today, but people that I have met that are in that situation have no desire ever to come to Christ, and yet they're doomed. God called them so many times they just kept saying no and their hearts got harder. Here's what happened to him. Four days he's screaming and shrieking. His last day... He says, Satan and the demons are in my bed. He sits up, and just like Doug did at Mercy Hospital, he shouted, damned, damned. I am damned through all eternity. And he dropped dead and died. And the housemaid, the woman who worked for him, said, for all the fame and wealth of Europe, I'd never see a non-believer, an infidel, die. Bertrand Russell, who I fought it with in college because I thought I was so smart, one of the most brilliant atheists in England, he wrote the book, Why I'm Not a Christian. A British broadcasting reporter asked him, what does your future look like? This is about four months before he died. You know what his response was? Hopelessness and despair. i got to tell you, folks, I'm born again. My future is not hopeless. It's joyful. I'm not despairing. I can't wait. But I want to bring as many people with me. The worst thing about going to hell, the only second thing worse than that, is taking somebody with you. Because you never told your family members. You never told your friends. You never told your wife or husband. You didn't tell your grandchildren. I'm so happy that my two precious grandchildren, little Sophia at Bible Study Fellowship three months ago, said, I want to come to Jesus. And she did. And my little 14-month little other granddaughter, my little baby doll, I'm Bobby. She's going to come to Christ because her parents are training her in the admonition of the Lord. What time do we have? I want to be very gentle. What? I'm done. I'm not done. Is that okay? May I finish? Derek Strickland described hell. He said it's a real place with real people. They're people you and I knew. No light. No light at all. It is such darkness you see it as a wall. No Christians or loved ones will be there, but you'll remember them. You'll remember your godly grandmother praying for you or your godly spouse. There's no God of grace there because you've already said no. God doesn't send you to hell, you send yourself. Second Thessalonians 1, 8 through 9. Thessalonians 1, 8 through 9. In flaming fire, God's taking vengeance on them that knew not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his power. There'll be no relief in hell. I don't know about you, but as I get older, I like taking a nap once in a while. I'm sure even you young people, you get tired, you want to lay down. In hell, you'll have never one second of relief. You will never get rest ever throughout the ages of time. You will be begging for water like the rich man. One drop and you'll never get it. You'll never see light again. But worse yet, you knew you gave up, which was a free gift of salvation from Jesus Christ, who shed it on the cross, His blood, and you said no. That's why we need to reach the world for Jesus. 
Many have been blinded by the evil one, Satan. They believe false religions, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, agnosticism, atheism. But I find that Christians want to go on a missions trip across the world, but are they willing to walk across the street or next door and tell their neighbor? Let's start doing that. There'll be no end to eternity. No satisfaction in eternity. Our memories will be there of all the things, the constant nightmare. Folks, the greatest torment, though, will be that we could have avoided the place if we had come to Christ and repented. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave a gift, that whosoever, it's anyone, the whosoever will what? One of you. L. Whoever call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. John 3.17 says, For God sent His Son to the world not to condemn the world, but the world through Him might be saved. But it's too late. Boy, I tell you, I wish I could have played the... I brought an audio tape, one of the, the most powerful sermon, a seven-minute clip, but I'll, I'll do it verbally. I'll do it verbally. It's a woman named Marcy, 21 years old, two story. David Gibbs, who heads a legal fund for Christians in Michigan. Brilliant guy. I interviewed him about a year and a half ago. He tells a story because he's speaking about we serve a God of the impossible. We should never ask God for what we think can happen because then we can do it. I want to ask God, what can you do, God? Because you can do the impossible and I can't. I can get on a plane from Minneapolis to Houston and have a man sitting next to me, 27 years old, who did not know about Christ. He went to church, thought good works would save him. And God brought him into the kingdom. Only God could plan that. Marcy wanted to go to Malaysia to the headhunting tribe. Nobody had been there for 11 years. The headhunters murdered everybody that had come. Everybody. They ate every single oil worker. The oil workers quit bringing helicopters in because the manhunters knew to throw their, their spears into the blades and jam them, and they'd come and kill the helicopter pilots of the oil companies and eat them. They ate the missionaries. Not for 11 years had anybody gone there. And this girl came forward said, Pastor, will you pray for me? God has called me to Malaysia to the headhunters. And the pastor said, don't go. She said, oh, but Pastor, you told me I serve a God of the impossible. Oh, you can't go. God, you, you told me it's not the condition. It's the God of the impossible who will take me there. They tried to dissuade her. Her parents said, send somebody to dissuade her. Don't have her go. They sent people in the church. She said, no, God called me. This 21-year-old petite little girl. Name is Macy. Marcy, excuse me. They spent one month trying to find a woman or a couple that would go with her. Nobody would go. No mission board would send anybody to Malaysia to the headhunters. And she would not budge. You know why? Because she wept for the lost. She knew the headhunters without Christ will go to a Christless eternity. And she was willing to give up her life for that. As we see around the world as missionaries are dying under Islam. Finally, the day came to take their a hard-bitten pilot from Vietnam said, I've never wept. He wept as he flew her. They had to stay 150 feet up in the air because they didn't dare let the, the, the tribesmen get even close to the helicopter to bring it down. They threw out her luggage. They dropped her down. But before they dropped her down, the pilot's weeping, so we'll never see you again. But we'll be back in 60 days just to look. She rappelled down. They left. The next 60 days, the pilot said he wept. And he thought about the girl all the time. He said, oh God, let her die quickly. Don't let him torture her. Just let him kill her. 
But you know what, folks? We serve a God of the impossible. Sixty days later, the two pilots come over the site in Malaysia. They look down, and guess what they saw? Oh, they saw Marcy and 70 tribes people around her. The pilots don't know what's going on. They land the helicopter. They run out. What happened? She said, you won't believe this. They don't eat women. (laughs) But even more astounding, what a mighty God we serve. 200 years earlier, God had allowed a prophecy on that tribe that said, someday a woman will come out of the sky, a God, and when she lands, worship her. And when they started worshiping, she said, stop. I'm not the God, but I've been sent by Him. And all 70 came to Christ. She said it was the easiest revival she had ever been involved with because we serve a God of the impossible. Will you bow your head and close your eyes? I'm sorry I got so tight for time I couldn't use the original. Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, I stand at your heart's door right now and I'm knocking. If anybody will hear my voice and open up their heart, I'll come in and live with them. Every head bowed, please. Every eye closed. And this is a very holy moment. I'm very, this is a very serious. Guys, I have fun. I laugh and all that. But when I start talking about eternity, I am serious. I am very serious. Where are you going to spend eternity? If you died today, do you know that for sure that you would go to heaven? Not based on good works. Your good works are like dirty rags to God. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There are none righteous. No, not one. Billy Graham said it best. He said, just because you go to church every Sunday, no more makes you a Christian than standing in your garage makes you a car. Jesus says you must be born again. What does that mean? It means that 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to Christ and repent and ask Him to come in and be our Lord and Savior by faith, we will be forgiven of our sins. The Bible says there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And Jesus Himself says, I and the Father are one. No one comes out of my Father but by me. Jesus is the only way. Right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know where you stand with Christ. I don't. But every head bowed and every eye closed, there's somebody here who has never asked Christ to come in their heart. You've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins. You're not absolutely certain if you died today, you'd go to heaven. I can guarantee you in just a moment you can have that assurance and know that you've been saved, that you will go to heaven if you die. Right now, every head bowed, eye closed. If you have never asked Christ, but you want to right now, I'm just going to ask you to please just raise your hand. No one's looking around. If you want to ask Christ right now to come into your heart for the first time, just raise your hand and keep it raised. No one's looking. Just raise your hand. Don't be. I'm just going to do it for a minute. I'm not going to beg anybody. There's somebody here who's not saved, who does not know Christ. Will you raise your hand? Thank you. You can put your hand down, ma'am. Anyone else? The Holy Spirit is moving here. God is speaking to you. Revelation 3.20, he's knocking at your heart's door right now. And he's saying, let me in. And we let him in by repenting. We let him in by faith, confessing that he is, in fact, the Savior of the world, that he died on the cross, and only his blood can cleanse us from our sins. Anyone else here other than that wonderful lady here who raised her hand? One last time. Anyone else want to receive Christ that is not certain that you're saved? Would you raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you very much. One more. Two more. Thank you. See, God's moving here. Andy, will you come up with me? I'm sorry I should have asked that. 
the three of you that raised every eye bow, every head closed, I'm sorry, every eye closed, every head bowed, the three of you that raised your hands, will you just raise it one more time? Because I want your pastor, Andy, to see who you are, okay? Anyone else? Now I'm going to ask a different question. Anyone else? Holy moment. One, okay, you can put your hands down. Thank you. Pastor Andy, I want you to see this next, because this is your parishioners. The rest of you then, I'll assume you're saved. But you might have grieved or quenched the Holy Spirit. You might have backslidden. You might be away from your first love of Jesus like you were before. He's not your first love. You've sinned against him. He's not in the center of your life right now. I've had to come before God so many times and say, Lord, forgive me for backsliding, that you're not the center of my life. But I'll tell you, folks, he is today. And it's the best place to be in the center of Jesus' hand. But right now, if you're a Christian, but you're in a backslidden state, but you want to come into fellowship again with Christ today, will you raise your hand? Keep your hands up. Thank you. Just keep your, thank you. Thank you all over there. Keep your hands up. No one's looking around. If you're a Christian, but you're out of fellowship with Christ, please raise your hand. I'm just going to ask one more time. Many of you are raising your hands. Thank you. 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 You can put your hands down now. I'm going to say two prayers. Then I'm going to let Pastor Andy close what he'll do. For the three of you that raise your hand to receive Christ, will you just say this prayer to yourself privately? And Jesus Christ is at your heart's door ready right now to come in. The three of you, here's the prayer for you. Just say privately after me. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. But by faith, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to come into my heart and to be my Lord and Savior. I repent. I turn from my sins. And I ask you to take hold and control of my life. And I thank you, Jesus, right now for coming into my heart, being my Lord and Savior, and giving me eternal life. Thank you. Amen. That's for you three that raised your hand. I want to give you right now, if you prayed that prayer sincerely, and I believe, and I know you did, the Bible says the angels in heaven right now are rejoicing. They're rejoicing with your names on their voices. That's so extraordinary. I told the guy in the plane, Carlos, yesterday, Carlos, in heaven right now as we're flying into Houston, the angels are shouting. Now, the many of you that prayed for recommitment, you grieved and quenched the Holy Spirit, just say this prayer to yourself privately. Dear Lord, I'm a Christian, but God, I know I've grieved and quenched your Holy Spirit. God, I know that you're not the first love of my life as you used to be. Oh, but I want to have it again. So, dear Jesus, forgive me. Come back and be on the center of my heart. Be in the center of my life. Let me love you more than anything. I repent of my sin of backsliding. And I come back in faith in your fellowship and ask you to take control of my life. And I thank you for doing that right now. Amen. And for those of you that are backslidden that prayed that prayer, God did that. Pastor Andy, I'm going to get down. I just want to say one thing. I love this church. You know I love it? I love it because your pastors love Jesus. Your Sunday school teachers love Jesus. I've gone in a church where I feel such a sense of deadness. There was such a sense of the Holy Spirit in the sanctuary today, I couldn't believe it. And I want to honor that. I want to honor your men and your women that are in ministry here because God's being proclaimed. And I believe, folks, in fact, Billy Graham's daughter, Ann Graham Lott, said a week ago, she believes Christ is coming in the next couple of years. We don't know the day or the hour, but we're in the season. He is coming in our lifetime. 
all the people I've interviewed across America, famous people on my radio show, almost everyone, except one or two, has said, Jesus is coming in this lifetime. All the signs are here. Let's be ready. If we're Christians, let's proclaim the gospel. Let's live the gospel. And for the three of you that came to Christ, I hope that you'll talk to Pastor Andy right after the program. He saw you raise your hands. He knows you are. Please talk to him. We've got some material for you. Thank you very much, Pastor Andy. We've been faced with the truth today. And it requires to make a decision one way or the other. And I praise God for those who made a decision to accept Christ. And for those who rededicated their hearts to God. What's done for Christ is the only thing that really counts in life. Winning souls is what counts. And I want to encourage you, starting today, witness to somebody. Tell them about the love of Christ. We're going to receive an offering for our Brother Paul. If you'd like to have an envelope, raise your hand. I tell you what, you're investing in good soil. I know that he has touched each and every one of us this morning. Allow the Lord to speak to your heart what to give. And if he tells you, that's what I want you to give, that's what you give. But some of you, he may say, tear up that check and write another one. Just be obedient to what the Holy Spirit tells you this morning. Two things before we receive the offering. For those who made a decision for Christ, if you fill out the bottom of the card and state on there what happened to you today. I don't have my glasses on. That's good. Uh, I committed my life to Christ. Or I'm renewing my commitment to Christ. The other one is I want to be baptized. If you have not been baptized, you need to be baptized. I would like to talk with the ministry team. Whatever it is, fill out that bottom if you would. Small groups. Let me read what it's told me here. <laughs> At the beginning of the service, I'm, I didn't do everything you said to do. I apologize. Um, please tell everyone interested in leading this small group to fill out the form in the bulletin and put it in the offering today. At offer time, please remind people to put their forms in the offering container. You're going to get them both at one time. If you'd like to be a part of the small groups, you'd like to lead, fill out this little form here this morning, 
And I think it's also if you just want to be a part of it. Is that correct? I want to attend. You'd like to attend or you'd like to host one, fill out this card today and put it in the offering today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the truth of God that went forth. Lord, may we never hold back in ministry to people. Lord, today we come to invest in good dirt, good ground. I thank you for the life of Brother Paul. I thank you for his testimony. I thank you, Lord God, for his desire to touch people's lives. Lord, I pray that you anoint and touch this offering. And Lord, may it be a blessing unto our brother and go to be his needs. And Lord, may it be able to send him forth wherever that you need him, Lord. God, I thank you for the honor and privilege to give unto you in behalf of Brother Paul Ridgeway. I give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Wayne.